And I'm going to read and preach verses 22 and 23 this morning. Two verses which are about groaning and waiting. Paul says in these verses that creation groans, and he says that we groan as believers. And we groan and we wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul's already mentioned in the previous verses how creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, how creation longs to be set free from its bondage to corruption, how creation longs to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That particular note is struck again in our passage this morning. But then there's a key change because not only does creation long for redemption, but also we ourselves as believers groan inwardly and wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So creation groans and we groan. And we're going to think about that together from these two verses. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we come again together to his word this morning and then we'll begin. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the blessing and the privilege of being able to hear your word together. We ask for your help, for the help of your spirit, because as you tell us in your word, the things of the spirit of God are spiritually discerned. And so we pray that you would enable us by your spirit to discern, to understand your word, illumine our minds and soften our hearts. Guard each one of us from distraction. Guard us from temptation. Guard us from tiredness. Lord, give us energy. Put wind in our sails as we come to your word and sanctify us by your word. Cause each one of us to groan inwardly and to wait eagerly for our full and final redemption at the return of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name, amen. amen. Reading Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. This is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Two points we'll consider from these two verses. First, creation groans, and then we groan. Paul says that the whole creation groans. Really, he's reiterating and reinforcing what he's just said in the previous verses. If you look down at verse 19, verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And now he says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
So he's reiterating, reinforcing this point about creation, driving the nail in a bit deeper to make sure that it holds in our minds. And I want us to focus on two things that Paul says here in verse 22. Two things. First, he says that the whole creation has been groaning together. The whole creation has been groaning together. The whole creation meaning the whole non-human creation. He's actually not talking about us. He's going to talk about us in the next verse. He's talking about the whole non-human creation. So rocks and trees and skies and seas, as we sing, or sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, or creeping things and beasts and cattle, birds that in the heavens fly, or all creatures of our God and King. The whole creation has been groaning together. And remember, he's using personification like we talked about last time. Creation is personified or referred to as if it were a person when it says that the whole creation has been groaning together. Creation groans. Creation grieves. Creation cries and sighs. Creation laments and longs for redemption. And remember, that's because creation was subjected to futility. Creation was subjected to futility by God because of the sin of man. So creation is broken and fallen. God made it, but we broke it by our sin against God. And so creation groans under the weight of the curse. If you watch Planet Earth or The Riot and the Dance or pretty much any nature documentary, you see both beauty and brokenness in creation, don't you? You see the harmony of it all, but you also see at times the chaos and the disorder. You see a gazelle bounding across the field, but then you see it get eaten by lions. You see things that make you feel happy, and you see things that make you feel sad. You see life and death. And that's because all of creation is groaning. It's groaning under the burden, groaning under the weight of the curse. It's not groaning because of something it did. It's not groaning because of something God did. It's groaning because of something we did. Creation is groaning because of our sinning in Adam in the Garden of Eden. And so we should let the brokenness of creation remind us of the sinfulness of sin. We should listen to the groaning of creation and let it remind us of really the sadness and the seriousness and the sinfulness of sin. But there's a second thing we should notice that Paul says here in verse 22, and it shines a ray of hope into the darkness of the groaning of creation. Paul says that the whole creation has been groaning together, quote, in the pains of childbirth, until now, in the pains of childbirth until now. Mothers, you know all about the pains of childbirth. The pains of childbirth are purposeful pains, aren't they? They're pains that are going somewhere. They're pains that are pointing forward. The pains of childbirth under normal circumstances are anticipatory pains, And they point forward to a time when there will actually be joy and no longer pain. 
They're not a dead-end street. They're going somewhere. They have a destination in view. Like Jesus said in John 16, 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. The pain is agonizing, but the outcome is astounding. You have a brand new baby boy or a brand new baby girl, and it's all worth it. Well, creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not pains that are pointless, but pains that point forward. The birth pains of creation point forward to the delivery, to deliverance, when creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. John Murray once wrote, These groans and travails are not death pangs, but birth pangs. Then he quotes Calvin. It is a most suitable similitude. It shows that the groaning of which he speaks will not be in vain and without effect, for it will at length bring forth a joyful and blessed fruit. So creation groans, but it groans in the pains of childbirth, pains that are purposeful, hopeful, and forward-looking. And the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, Paul says. That is, ever since the fall and right up to the present moment, to this very day. From the moment Adam ate the forbidden fruit that fateful day long ago and every day since, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. But one day, when Christ returns, creation will no longer groan, it will rejoice. It will no longer be subject to futility, it will be set free from its bondage to corruption and will obtain that freedom of the glory of the children of God. Death shall be no more. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore, as Revelation 21 tells us. For the former things will have passed away, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And on that new earth, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, as it says in Isaiah 11. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day the curse will be removed, the earth will be renewed, and groaning will give way to rejoicing. But until that day comes, creation will continue to groan, as it does even this day, in the pains of childbirth. And let me encourage you, by way of application here, simply to be on the lookout for examples of this. I got a text last week from someone in our church 
who had stumbled across a school of dead fish on the shore of a lake. And they sent me the picture, and I sort of zoomed in on the picture, and I could see the fish were beautiful. The sunlight was reflecting off of their scales and their shape and their design, and just how many of them there were was very striking. But they were all dead. They had all died right there on the shore. And the person who texted me, one of their kids said that it was creation groaning. And that's exactly right. That was an example of the verse that we've been talking about. And I would encourage you, just like that, to be on the lookout for other examples. So kids, you can do this even on the way home from church today. While you're riding in the car, you can look for dead animals on the side of the road. Or at lunch, I'm sure your mom wouldn't serve you moldy strawberries for lunch. But if there are any strawberries with mold on them, that's another example of what this verse is talking about. Or if you're outside this afternoon and you get bit by a mosquito, or you see thorns or other prickly things in your garden, all those things are examples of our verse, of the truth of our verse. That's creation groaning under the curse because of our sin. But one day that curse will be removed and creation will be set free. So let's all of us be on the lookout for examples of creation groaning and let's listen to the groaning and let it remind us that these pains of childbirth won't last forever. One day there's going to be a delivery. There's going to be deliverance. One day everything's going to change and creation's going to be made new. But until then, creation groans. But creation doesn't groan alone. We also groan. Let's consider that under our second main point now. We groan as believers. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. Notice two things here. First, notice who Paul's talking about. He's talking about believers. He says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. As a Christian, how would you describe yourself? Think about that. As a Christian, how would you describe yourself? In the church I grew up in, there was an older man who would often introduce himself by saying, hello, my name is Don, that was his name, and I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. As Christians, we are sinners saved by grace. We are those who've been enabled to repent of our sins and to put our trust in Jesus Christ. We are not those who are righteous in ourselves, trusting in our own good works to get us to heaven. We are those, rather, who've come to see that our righteousness is like filthy rags before God the judge. And we've come to see that our only hope is in Jesus Christ. His sinless life and sacrificial death and victorious resurrection. And we've believed in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. 
And let me say, if you're here this morning and you haven't believed in Jesus, let me encourage you to do so even now as I speak. Turn from your sin and put your whole trust, not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ for salvation from your sin. The Bible says that you need salvation. All of us do. And that there's no other way to be saved than by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So come to Jesus and he will save you. And then you too will be a sinner saved by grace. There are many ways we could describe ourselves as Christians. There are many ways we are described in the Bible. Here we are described as those who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? First fruits has to do with crops and harvesting crops. The first fruits were the first fruits of the harvest, the earliest fruits of the harvest, the first part of the larger harvest. And they were sort of like a pledge or a promise of that larger harvest that was to come. Like a down payment on a house is, in a sense, a pledge that you're going to pay the rest of the payments. The first fruits were a pledge of the larger harvest to come. And the Bible says that we as believers have been given the first fruits of the Spirit. We have been given the first fruits, namely the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit himself is the first fruits. We have been given the first fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit is the down payment, the first installment, the guarantee of our future redemption. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Or Ephesians chapter 1, 11 through 14. In him, Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Spirit is the first fruits of the larger harvest that is to come, the first installment and the guarantee of our future inheritance. Again, John Murray said, this is the token gift of the Spirit given to believers now as the pledge of the plenitude of the Spirit to be bestowed at the resurrection. We have the first fruits of the Spirit now as a promise of the fullness of the Spirit that we will have then at the resurrection. And consider what a privilege it is for us even to have the first fruits. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in our hearts. We are able to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We endeavor to live as becomes followers of Christ, as our 
membership vow says, in humble reliance upon the grace of the Spirit. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The Spirit in us is stronger than any of the doubts in us or the fears in us or the lusts in us. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are, in fact, the children of God. And the Spirit will sanctify us and renew us and preserve us all the way to glory. Yes, the Spirit we have now is only the first fruits, but what a bountiful, plentiful first fruits it is. And how it should make us long for the full harvest that is to come. So Paul's talking about believers here. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. The second thing we should notice here in verse 23 is what we as believers do, what we as believers are said to do. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We groan inwardly it says. Creation groans outwardly. We groan inwardly. We groan on the inside. We groan in our hearts. Though our groaning is often expressed outwardly, we lament, we sigh, we cry, we groan. Why do we groan? Well, for many reasons, but in context here, it's because our bodies aren't redeemed yet. They're not fully redeemed. The redemption of our bodies is coming, but it's not here yet. The resurrection of the body hasn't taken place yet. We have broken bodies, every one of us, and so we groan. We also groan because of sin, our own sin and the sin of others. And we groan because of the brokenness of this fallen world that we live in. Like an old bookshelf groans under the weight of too many books and the shelves start to bow. We groan under the weight of our broken bodies, our broken hearts, and this broken world. We don't groan in despair. At least we shouldn't groan in despair, though we are tempted to at times. Because like creation, we groan in the pains of childbirth. We groan in faith. We groan in hope. We groan in anticipation. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We groan because, as John Murray once more said, it is only the first fruits we have now in contrast with the full harvest The first fruits whet the appetite for the fullness which the adoption will administer. This causes us to yearn for the adoption, and therefore groaning is the result. Like a mother yearns for the delivery and groans in the pains of childbirth, we yearn for deliverance and groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for it to come. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, referring to our body as a tent. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, 
a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Right now, we live in a tent. And it's a beautiful tent, but it's also a broken tent. The poles don't work right, and it has rips and tears so that when it rains, we get wet. But one day, we're going to live in a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now we have a broken body, then we'll have a resurrection body. And so we wait eagerly for it. But notice that Paul says that we wait eagerly, quote, for adoption as sons. Why does he say that we wait eagerly for adoption as sons? Haven't we already been adopted as sons? Well, yes, we have. But there's more to come that we haven't experienced yet. The Apostle John says in 1 John 3, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So we are children of God. The Bible's very clear about that. But John goes on to say, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So we are God's children now. We've already been adopted But what we will be has not yet appeared. We wait eagerly for adoption in that sense. We wait eagerly for the full experience of our adoption. We wait eagerly for the full enjoyment of our adoption, which will come with the redemption of our bodies. And the redemption of our bodies is probably related to our adoption because the redemption of our bodies will be the revelation of our adoption. Like Paul mentioned back up in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing of the sons of God will happen when the redemption of our bodies happens. And so you can see why Paul relates our adoption to the redemption of our bodies. Matthew Henry wrote, the deed of adoption, which is now written, signed, and sealed, will then be recognized, proclaimed, and published. And we could add, fully experienced and enjoyed. So we experience and enjoy adoption now, but there's a fuller experience and enjoyment that is yet to come. We have the first fruits of the Spirit now, but there's a fullness of the Spirit that is yet to come. We have the appetizer, 
but we're still waiting for the meal to come. And the appetizer makes us want the meal even more. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, but it makes us long even more for the redemption of our bodies. As Paul said in Galatians 5, 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Let's think about the redemption of our bodies for just a bit, and then we'll draw to a close this morning. The redemption of our bodies. Right now, our bodies are broken. I don't think anyone in this room would contest that fact. We have many body sufferings like we talked about just a few weeks ago. Some of our young mothers have suffered miscarriages over the last year or so, and even very recently, for which they have our deepest sympathy as a body and our love and our prayers and our concern. Our prayer list each week is populated with so many examples of the brokenness of our bodies. Some of you are feeling very acutely this morning, even this moment, the brokenness of your body. We wait eagerly. We long earnestly for the redemption of our bodies. And the redemption of our bodies is coming at the resurrection. The redemption of our bodies will be the resurrection of our bodies. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. That day will come. It will be a massive upgrade and a permanent one with no need for continual software updates. There will be no more disease. There will be no more decay. There will be no more death. Isaiah 25, 6 through 9, will come to pass for all of God's people. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his 
glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Creation groans and we groan. The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Last thought in terms of how we should respond to all this. In light of all this, let me put it this way. We should live each day with a lean. We should live each day leaning forward to what's to come. One of my sons purchased a hoverboard a while back. One of these things that you stand on and if you lean forward, you go forward. And if you lean back, you go back. We should live each day like that. Not leaning backward and going backward, but leaning forward and going forward. Not standing still, not going backward, but going forward. Leaning forward in eager anticipation of what's to come. Waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We already have the first fruits. Let's lean forward towards the harvest. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see all around us examples of creation groaning in the pains of childbirth. And may that humble us in light of the sinfulness of our sin. And may that also cause us to groan and to long for the redemption of our bodies. Help us each day to lean forward towards the harvest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a minute now to think and to pray about what we've heard, and then we'll respond to the Lord with singing.